Chapter 15 Nananaba Suspense and Waiting at Ojo del Oso Once the Nabejo people had been counted, family members were allowed to leave the horse corrals and rejoin their relatives. Nananaba could see her youngest son and Hashkehilnaba stretching their necks, looking for Nananaba and Sek Isnazba and her young siblings. Nananaba followed the women out of the corral. Her beautiful copper-colored moccasins were covered with horse manure, turning her moccasins a dull green color. Before they left the corral, the older Nabehu women warned the children, telling them not to appear too anxious to rejoin their fathers, grandfathers, uncles, and older brothers. Ado dan hietiezene has twee dan linigi betinda so neat in her lingo, bitch and dain not yede. Dan hietiezene bitch and dain not yego, niche and nae dan hiltsago, niche a yo o ne in a cardo, nihich in the wheel nado, do yet hit dan yos neat or less. Niche and nae bejay a dad den, yadashi a dad a. Don't run to your male relatives as if you missed them. If you run to your relatives, our enemies will see that you love your relatives and they will use the love you have for your relatives to create hardship for you or they will torture you. Our enemies do not have hearts. They are despicable. Hashkeh Yilnapa and Inanaba were reunited. They demonstrated to each other their relief at seeing each other. Through their eyes they spoke kind words to each other in gentle tones. Their adopted children stood near them with joy displayed on their faces. Nananabat's youngest son stood near her and said, Ya'at e shema, greetings my mother. Ninanabat knew by the sound in his voice that he was overjoyed to see her and his sister-in-law and her siblings. Ninanabat answered with a heartfelt, Greetings, my little one. Ninanabat could only demonstrate her love for her husband and her son through her words while her face remained emotionless. Within a week, more soldiers had arrived, and the Nabehu people were ordered to stay in small groups as the soldiers counted first the men, then the women, and then the children. Many Nabehu women were afraid of the counting of the people. In irony, Nananaba found her heart looking forward to the time of the counting of the women. It would give her a chance to look for her daughter as she searched the faces of the young women. It was the only time all the women and young women were herded into one corral. Nananaba walked among the young women hoping to see the beautiful face of her daughter. It could be that my daughter is being held here. 
Sani Bidrana Shago Shich'e Shidotzel. As I walk among the women, my daughter will see me, Ninanabat told her husband longingly before she bravely left to be counted. Once the people were counted, they gave the Navejo men rations of flour, salt, coffee beans, and slabs of yellow bacon fat. The women swore at the soldiers, saying, Sani yet iyan bendan nish, eye at sa'ata al-im, eikhanito gulbeda huzenda, as tuye ndal je, at sent aafi khandash je igi yet eya ninata yi ja, at sent dot aafwasha jost e igi doha alchin banj do yelta. Nabe hohas tui, to by yet out of sealed a yen ye able to a hitchigani at sin, yichuigi had hades neat. Nichuan a nihe nai a dad in, tado thou son, wet, wet, wet. Don't they know the women are the ones who make cooking for others their work? The men are the ones who are the hunters. The men are to bring home only what they have acquired in the hunt. They should not bring home to their children any meat that they did not have a part in acquiring. The soldiers gave the Navajo men spoiled meat to deliberately humiliate them. Don't bother about it. They are our enemies. Don't eat their food. Yuck, yuck, yuck. The children licked their lips when they saw the food, but they were told the food was poisoned, so they could not eat it. The soldiers who had just arrived preferred to count the Nabehua people as they stood in groups. Still, the counting of the people made the Nabehua people very nervous. The mothers shouted at their children to run and hide when the soldiers came near. The women and young girls hid their faces behind blankets when the soldiers came near to count the number of Navejo people in their care. The soldiers shouted at the Navejo people as they counted them, then just as quickly the soldiers left. The Navejo people nervously waited several hours after each counting. Children wondered why the adults dreaded the counting of the people. The adults did not tell the children, but they were aware that more and more of their people were dying of mysterious causes every time the soldiers came to count the Navejo people. With each counting, the number of Navejo people was lessened, and once the soldiers noticed the trend, they began to yell loudly at the men, asking them who had run away. None, no one has run away yet, was the brave answer of the Nabeho leaders. The people were told through interpreters that they had to inform the soldiers through an interpreter when a Navajo person died, after which the interpreters brought a young soldier who would wrap the deceased person in a blanket and take them away. 
The soldiers were confused as to why the Navajo people were constantly shifting their campsite. The soldiers were told by the interpreter the Navajo people could not stay in the same place where a person died, so they moved their campsite to avoid the spot. At night, mothers, women, and children could be heard crying over someone else who had died. Don't cry. One is not supposed to cry over the deceased. The leaders were heard telling their people. One day, the Nabeho men brought back the rations given them by the soldiers. The women inspected what looked like yellow ground corn flour. The women made faces at the flour because it was the flour of the enemy. The flour the soldiers gave the men did not have the same consistency of the finely ground yellow corn the Nabehua people were used to. Instead, the flour felt greasy when the women rubbed it between their fingers. Even the color was off. Nabehua corn flour, when finely ground, was of a pale yellow color if ground from the yellow corn white when ground from the white corn, or a pale blue from the blue corn. The Nabehu women told the men they needed plenty of juniper branches so they could burn the leaves, then collect ashes to mix with the thick, greasy flour to make bread. That was the important ingredient for making bread when there was plenty of corn. The women continued to inspect the flower with concerned looks on their faces. Oba'i, it is awful, was all the women said as they continued to make faces at the greasy flower. The children needed to be fed. With great anxiety, the older Nabehu women made plans to walk into the nearby hills to gather juniper branches. There was much discussion regarding this decision because the white soldiers could not be trusted. The Nabehu men refused to allow their women or their mothers to wander into the nearby hills to gather juniper branches. Instead, the young men volunteered to go, and so arrangements were made with the soldiers to allow the men passage. The young men asked the women what the words of the song were that was sung when a tree was to be stripped of its branches. Once told, several young men left carrying the large woven bags that women carried for the specific purpose of gathering juniper branches. The young men teased one another as some carried the bags over their shoulder as their mothers and sisters had done. Others bunched up the bags and awkwardly carried them in their hands. Still others tied the bags around their waist, each one trying to remain inconspicuous as they carried bags that only women had carried up until this time. Nananabat's younger son, Egonapa offered to go for his family by saying, Shema, Shikat Latna Deshlil. My mother, 
I will go to gather juniper branches for you. He took the bag out of his mother's hand, walked a distance, then tucked the bag inside his waist belt, while a larger part of the bag hung down above his left hip. Hashkehilnapa watched his son join the others, then teased his son by saying, The juniper branch is going to tear the covering off of your buttocks. At his comment, the family began laughing, all the while imagining Egonapa coming back with no covering over his backside. Egonapa looked back over his shoulder and pulled the bag so it hung over his right hip as well. The family laughed even more. They continued to watch with laughter in their eyes as they watched the young men disappear into the hills. The families began to worry when their young men had not returned. As the late afternoon slowly wore on into evening, a cry was heard from the outskirts of the camp area. The young men were returning with large packs on their back. The women were amazed at the amount of juniper branches the young men were carrying, but critical of the greed with which the young men picked the juniper branches. When the young men came into full view, many of the women began to laugh, pointing at the packs the young men carried. The juniper branches were bare. Only barren branches stuck up into the air high above their head. Maybe they sang the wrong song to the juniper tree, so the juniper trees only gave them bare branches, an older woman was heard to say as she laughed. As the young men came closer into the camp, the women continued to laugh. She don't the yak got enough until You would think that as long as they have watched us gather the branches, they would know what we wanted, a woman said, causing the laughter to begin again. Ninanabat smiled as she sat quietly, watching her youngest son approach the camp. Maybe our young men wanted also to keep us warm throughout the cold nights, and that is why they brought us wood instead, she said in defense of her youngest son. He too carried a pack of barren branches. As each pack was lowered to the ground, the women found beautiful full juniper branches laden with ripe purple berries under several large branches of firewood. Gut 
Arnabejo people who were kept prisoner here before us have gathered all of the branches and firewood that were nearby. We had to go farther into the hills to find full juniper branches with lots of berries. If we had brought branches that had a few berries, you would have sent us back into the hills again, Egonapa explained. Nananaba felt bad for her youngest son. It was bad enough that the young men had to do the work of women, but to be laughed at when they thought they were being considerate and gathering several days' supply of firewood made her sad. Nananaba quietly thanked her son as she said, Thank you, my little one, for thinking of us. Your father would have done the same thing. Appreciative of her acknowledgement, her son responded by saying, Shema, Nenan Tseskes Kopinina Ashike Akutego Pahotea. I was thinking of you, my mother, when I made plans for the young men. Nenanaba lovingly reached out and softly touched her son's arm. As Egonapa was emptying his bag, Hashkehilnapa playfully turned his son around and checked his son's leggings for tears or exposed skin. Egonapa laughed as he slung the bag over his shoulder the way his mother usually does while his father laughed. Both parents were proud of their youngest son. He was so thoughtful. Hashkehilnapa was grateful. He knew his sons were very considerate of others because of the way his Nenanaba had raised their children. He watched his wife and son quietly talk while Nananaba built a small fire over which they would heat their long, wide strands of jerky. He told his son, your mother raised you well. She taught you well. You do not think only of yourself. Thank you for thinking of your mother and the children we are raising. Egonapa quietly answered with, I acknowledge your compliment, my father. You also raised me well, too. I am thankful for that. Nananaba loved hearing her husband and her son's conversations. They were always respectful of one another. She knew her younger son would make a respectful husband to a young Nabeho woman. She could not think of her son leaving her to go live with his wife's family. She wanted to watch her son become a great war leader like his father. Ashkehilnapa watched his wife and his son 
with a sense of uneasiness. He wanted to reunite his family in the worst way. He turned toward the darkening eastern sky and vowed he would do all he could to reunite Nananaba with her children. She had united him with their children when she brought each one into the world at birth. Hashkeh Yilnapa remembered the look on her face during childbirth and the soft groans she voiced, which were a testimony of the pains that attacked her body. Yet, with the birth of each child, she did not complain, nor did she complain throughout her pregnancies. She bravely accepted the fact of life and bore his children. Hashkeh Yilnapa loved the mother of his children. The loud snapping of dried wood brought Hashkeh Yilnapa back to the present. He observed his wife making preparations for the evening meal. To conserve the wood, Nananaba did not make bread like many of the Nabehwa women. Instead, she hid the greasy yellow flour, saying, it is uncertain what it is. Our enemy probably put something bad in it. If we eat it, we will scold, just like our enemies, and we will be mad all the time and evil words will come out of our mouths. Hashkeh Yilnapa could not imagine his beautiful Nenanaba scolding or mad or speaking evil words. When the sun goes down, I will dig a hole for it, he said, not wanting the food of the enemy anywhere near his beautiful Nenanaba. Hashkeh Yilnapa then announced to his people that they should bury the food and not eat the food of the enemy. Hashkeh Yilnapa and Nenanaba's adopted children were fed tasty strips of jerky first, then Tsek Iznazba and Nenanaba fed themselves. Egonapa and his father fed themselves last. Little did the family know that the order in which the family ate that evening would be followed for the next five years. Two nights after the men received their rations, which included the greasy yellow flour, Hashkeh Yilnapa heard many Nabehu children crying. The ones who ate the enemy's food are the ones who are crying, he said. I feel so much sympathy when I hear them crying. They should put some medicinal fine sand and water for them, he said with sympathy. His own group of people was quiet. The children were sleeping. He did not sleep because he needed to listen for the cries of his people. 
they slept through the night. He was glad he had listened to his Nananaba. She was a warrior for her people in being able to sense food that was bad for them. In the early morning air, Hashkehilnaba thanked his beautiful Nananaba for sparing her people from the hatred of the soldiers. He also thanked the Creator for protecting his people. He strengthened his Nananabat's hair as he said, They truly did put something into the flower. What did the children and the elders do to them? to make them put something dangerous into the flower. Hashkehilnaba did not understand why the Nabeho, leader of the people who were suffering, was not alert to the evil antics of the enemy soldiers. Thinking of the soldiers and to warn his youngest son of never becoming such a weak warrior, he said, Anna'i, Allah'te, Doyil Diniki, Adat ela, alchene do sani do the netas legi, big ejit and dachapa. Do hani nihiras twina bahi danit linigi, nihik ejit dash da bata. Nihinihik ejit ndash di bago, e belt e donne. Di e alchene bene andajan che, chikanta bene andajan che, do yego nastas legi. They are the worst kind of enemy. They are making war against the children and the women and the elders. Why don't they declare war against those of us who are warriors? It would be more suitable if they declared war against us. They hide behind the children for safety. They hide behind the young women for safety. And they hide behind the elderly for safety. That is not called warfare. Only a person who is scared will do that. Who taught them the art of war? The Nabehu warriors' hands were tied. They could not challenge such an enemy. Because if they did, the children, the elderly, and the young women would suffer greatly at the hands of the soldiers. Hashkehilnaba knew his warriors were demonstrating incredible strength by not retaliating against an enemy that preys on the weak. Nabehu mothers were holding their children who cried because of extreme pains in their abdomen. The women could not even touch their children's abdomens because the little ones felt so much pain. Soon the women began to notice each child's abdomen becoming very hard to the touch. Not long after the children became sick, the elderly Nabeho people began to complain of acute pains in their abdomen as well. Soon the weak children and the elderly began to experience fainting spells. Many Nabeho people noticed 
they were not having bowel movements like they should. All they could say was that the food they ate became like a rock in their stomach. Eating food and drinking water only made their condition worse. One young soldier who became concerned for the Navajo people began asking his commanding officers for medical supplies for the sick people. Their skin color is not good. Their eyes are not clear like they should be. The children are in pain. The old people are in pain. There are a lot of Navajo people dying. Is there something we can do? He asked as he ran from one officer to another. Yeah, watch them die, was the cold answer he received from the officers. The fewer savages we have to force onward to the fort on the Pecos River, the better. It's best they die here and not on the way over, the young soldier was told. Still, the fear and concern of the young soldier only rose with the sounds of the suffering people. The young soldier took it upon himself to look through the food supplies that were kept in a separate warehouse. To his horror, he found bags of white plaster powder stacked up near the flower. Several empty bags that once contained white plaster powder were carelessly thrown behind the bags of flour that were stacked up against the wall. Chills ran up and down the young soldier's spine. The Navajo people were suffering from extreme constipation, he thought as he sadly regretted having signed up for the army that was sent west. The young soldier had only wanted to see parts of the country that had not been tamed. He did not want to be a part of the military that slaughtered people with a slow, painful death. Tears inched their way down his face as his helpless realization made his stomach contract. Even in his hands, the half-empty bag of plaster was extremely heavy. He could only imagine how the solution felt as it settled in the stomach of the people he was ordered to tame. Soon, the young soldier found himself vomiting uncontrollably as the faces of the suffering children appeared in his mind one by one. When the young soldier felt he had nothing else to vomit out but his dried-out boots, the young soldier tore open a bag of plaster. He took a fistful and felt the heavy, fine white powder as he sprayed fistfuls in different directions of the warehouse. It was unclear in his mind what the purpose was of driving these Indians to a place called Fort Sumner, except that they were to be placed on a large reservation there. What is wrong with this land here? Why can't they stay here, he thought, as he looked out between the cracks of the warehouse. When he turned back to look at what seemed to be stacks and stacks of bags of flour, he found bags labeled 
plaster interspersed between the bags of flour. The young soldier's thoughts turned toward his mother. His father had been killed at the beginning of the Civil War. There had been little for his family to eat, so the overwhelming thought of having one less mouth to feed seemed to be a blessing to his family. That thought had motivated the young soldier to lie about his age so he could join the army and see the world before his mother got too old and he would have to come back and care for her. What would my mother think of me now? He thought as tears of remorse, loneliness, regret, and sympathy burned in his eyes. Most of these Indians are not the animals the commanding officers said they are, he thought, as he once again peered out from between the cracks and the wall. In the distance, he could hear people crying. The voices of little children were mixed in with the painful sounds of the elders. He wanted to free them all. He wanted to free himself. The Nabeho people were told to gather in groups to be counted again. The mothers and daughters became fearful of the soldiers' orders. The last time the people were counted, many more people had died, mostly children and elders. The women with wild looks in their eyes told their children to hide. The older people began to moan sad moans, remembering their relatives and acquaintances who had died a painful death when they had eaten the enemy's food. Fear of the soldiers and the counting made the people hard to control. When the counting was to begin, the Nabehu people were asked to gather on the large clearing used for parades, horse races, and announcements. Many children and elders ran to hide. The soldiers came around on horseback and began chasing Nabehu people with their coiled ropes, while other soldiers directed the Nabehu people by shoving them here and there. The women were chased to one side and the men to the opposite side while the crying, scared children were gathered in the middle. Even the people with hard-distended stomachs were forced to stand up and forced to walk the entire distance to the parade grounds. Their hunched posture was a declaration of the pain they experienced. Many were near death, mostly from the poisons that the body could not rid itself of, in regular bowel movements. Seeing a young Nabehu girl reduced to helplessness in this predicament did not stop several crazed soldiers from raping her. Some Nabehu people saw one soldier shove her at gunpoint toward the warehouses. There they watched as the soldier cut her rug dress off of her and shoved her down. Then as she tried to turn to crawl away from the soldier, 
additional soldiers held her down by stepping on her shoulder as their fellow soldiers raped her. One after another, the soldiers had their way with her, but two soldiers had an attack of morality. They turned and walked away from the dying young girl. As it turned out, the cries of the sick people drowned out the gasps of the women as they witnessed the cruel death of the young girl. The Nabejo men were standing in an area where they were out of sight and sound of the commotion and did not see much difference in activity. It was not until the evening when the counting was completed that the Nabejo men were told of the rape. One of the ruthless soldiers who raped the young girl was a tall man. He was pointed out to the Nabejo men as the main one who was crazed. A favorite pastime at Fort Fauntleroy was horse racing. At times, the soldiers raced against one another. Other times, the Nabejo men were invited to a horse race and were presented with an army horse. The Nabejo men chose to ride bareback, and they became one with their horse as they raced the horse. Nabejo warriors were expert horsemen who enjoyed being challenged in a horse race. But the military horses were very slow, lazy, and not trained for warfare. Still, the Nabejo men enjoyed feeling the power of a horse underneath them as they raced. Wanting revenge for the young girl's rape and death, the Nabejo men challenged the soldiers to a horse race. Hashkeh Yishnapa and two other war leaders were frequent winners where their prize was food. Now, in the eyes of the Nabejo, the prize was to be the tall soldier. The Nabejo men asked that the tall soldier join in the races. Reluctantly, the tall soldier joined the group. The Nabejo men challenged the soldiers to a race that would take a longer course. Eager to win, to show his bravery, to be above all, the tall soldier agreed. In the first few races, the Nabejo men allowed him to win. On the last day of the race, the tall soldier was once again challenged. Recklessly, he walked out, got on his horse, and waited for the others to join him. Several soldiers joined in to keep control over the wild Indians. The horses, eager to run, bolted forward with their riders on their back. The horses' hooves pounded past the young male spectators. Hashkeh Yishnapa and his youngest son and a tall war leader easily raced the horses, not allowing their horse to run at full speed as they turned the horses slightly toward the right. The tall soldier lost the lead. The unsuspecting soldier, not wanting to be defeated, 
tried desperately to coax his horse forward to regain his lead. Far away from the fort and out of the range of the soldiers, four Nabeho men jumped out from behind a large bush and dangerously darted in front of the horses. The soldier's horse did not miss a step. It turned sharply to avoid running over the warrior, causing its rider to slide off to the side as the horse kept running. The soldier tumbled head over heels several times and lay lifeless, covered with fine sand. Another horse threw its rider, the tall soldier who landed at the feet of the men who stupefied the horse and rider. The men cut off the soldier's pants and in seconds castrated the mean tall soldier. His assaulters were not satisfied. They wanted his life, but a lone rider came back and motioned to them to lift the writhing soldier back onto his horse to be sent in the direction of the fort. Back at the fort, word spread of the incident. It was unknown if the men who had assaulted the soldier were Nabeho or another group of Indians who frequented the fort in hopes of obtaining horses. The tall, mean soldier was never seen again by the Nabeho. The soldiers were, for the time being, more careful in their actions. Investigations were attempted, but it seemed the restlessness of the Nabeho people kept the soldiers busy and distracted the soldiers from catching the men who had assaulted their fellow soldier. The most that the tall, injured soldier could tell them was the men who assaulted him were wearing masks. The women kept their young girls near them, covering the young girls' faces with blankets. Many of the girls' hair, face, arms, and legs were greased with mutton tallow, then fine dirt was thrown into their hair, on their faces, arms, and legs. All of this was done to make the young girls unattractive to the soldiers. When Tsek Nazba did not have the herb that brought on painless blisters applied to her face, Ninanabat greased her hair, face, arms, and legs as well. Still, it did not keep all the soldiers away. Some were brave enough to approach her. They became brave when they used the end of their rifles to reach out and attempt to lift her rug dress above her knees. Tsek Nazbat would become frozen with fear. She knew what the soldiers were capable of. After all, they had killed her mother and her father. When Tsek Nazbat carried her baby sister in a cradle board, it still did not discourage the soldiers from performing silly antics in their attempts to get her attention. The young girls were rendered helpless, for they knew the long, cold sticks the soldiers carried around could shoot powder that sent black clouds rising into the air, after which a person's breath was taken away 
and carried up into the sky by the black cloud. Many parents mourned the deaths of their daughters. Not only did the soldiers kill their daughters, they killed their grandchildren too. The Nabeho people knew they would never see the faces of their grandchildren who had not yet been conceived. Fear gripped the heart of Nananaba. Where were her beautiful daughters, Dedyajnazba and Zanaba? Were they being treated like this too? A slight feeling of relief washed over her when she remembered that they had asked her son to return to the fort to protect his older sister. Every night and every morning before any activity began, Nananabat stopped to think. It is good that my daughter is being cared for by her younger brother. She is not alone. Akonde but my heart still aches because I miss my daughters. Once Nananaba had paid homage to her children's memory, she prayed to the Creator and asked for the safety of all her children, her adopted children, and her husband. Nananaba found the extreme difficulties of the day were easier to face once she reminded herself of the reason they were at the enemy's fort. She wanted to look into the eyes of her oldest daughter and her grandchild. She wanted to greet them the way she greeted her children when they were still wet from childbirth. She wanted to see her oldest son again, and she wanted to witness the happy reunion of her son and his beautiful Zek Nazba. She wanted to witness the reunion of her oldest son with his father. She knew her husband was suffering as well. She wanted to bring peace back into his life. Ninanaba prayed, Thank you for my children. It is through them that you have given me encouragement, she told the Creator.